The Immortal Game is a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year and is available in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, it's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Chapter 13. Blocked Pawn Not much had changed on Woodland Avenue since my last visit. The apartment windows still needed washing. The Chevy Impala was still on jack stands. And the liquor store up the street was still happy to take my money. I bought a stale roast beef sandwich, coffee, and a pint of bourbon and pulled the Galaxy into a choice spot across from the building. There was no reason why Terry McCullough shouldn't be home, except that the way my luck was running, I couldn't imagine myself walking up to the door, ringing the bell, and having her buzz me in. I went through the motions anyway, with the expected result. I went back to the car and sat, sipping the too-strong coffee and chewing the leathery sandwich. A female postal worker came up and used a key to let down the front panel on the apartment mailboxes. She shoved mail into the individual boxes in a desultory fashion until she came to a large envelope that wouldn't fit. She tried rolling, folding, and wedging it, and finally yanked it out of the box in disgust and dropped it on the front doorstep. She slammed the front panel shut and wheeled her little satchel carrier past my car, muttering under her breath. I said, I guess that deal about rain, sleet, and the dark of night goes right down the tubes when you get a big envelope. Bite me, she said, and kept on going. I turned the radio to a jazz station for a while, but eventually killed it when they started playing too much fusion, and I got worried about running down the battery. I smoked a cigarette and swigged some bourbon. An old guy with two miniature schnauzers straining at the leash went by. He called them Duchess and Duke and gave them biscuits from his pocket. Tenants drove up in beat-up cars and sat idling while the automatic gate creaked open to let them into the parking area. They parked, walked back up the ramp, and activated the gate behind them before checking their mail and going into the building. Several hours passed and it grew dark. Then it began to rain. Hard. Water seeped in through a window on the driver's side that I could never get to roll all the way up. The bourbon gave out shortly thereafter, and I was forced to bury the bottle at sea in the puddle of water that had formed at my feet. By 11.30, I was ready to pack it in. No one who vaguely resembled Terry McCullough had entered or left the building, and no lights were visible in the back window of the apartment I figured to be hers. I had my hand to the starter key when the headlights from a dark-colored BMW raked the windshield of my car. I ducked instinctively, then watched as the BMW angled into the parking spot directly in front of me. The driver killed the motor, fumbled it around inside for a moment, stepped out onto the road. It was Roland Teller. Teller paused to turn up the collar on his raincoat, and then slogged across the street to the entrance of the apartment building. Instead of buzzing to be let in, he surprised me by producing a key that unlocked the door quite handily. I tracked him through the glass panels of the lobby as he climbed the stairs. He disappeared down the second floor hallway, and a short time later a light came on in the back window I had been watching. 
I played a little game of water polo with a whiskey bottle before deciding to go over and see what Teller was up to. After grabbing my set of burglary tools from the glove box, I pushed open the car door and sprinted across the roadway to the eaves of the covered parking area. I slithered over the gate and landed with a splash. A sheet of rainwater was advancing across the concrete floor, turning the mounds of oil-soaked cat litter under many of the autos into grimy little islands. I walked along the carport to the back of the building and went up the fire escape stairs to the second floor platform. If I was hoping that the damage from the other day had gone unrepaired, I was in for a disappointment. Not only had the doorknob been replaced, but a cheap-looking deadbolt had been installed above it. The pry bar would buy me exactly nothing, so I knelt in front of the door and began gouging away at the keyhole with a pair of lockpicks. For a professional working in a dry, well-lighted setting, the miserable deadbolt would have taken about two minutes to open. For me, working by the light of a bare 30-watt bulb in a driving rainstorm, it took 15. By the time I lurched through the door, my suit jacket was plastered to my back, and my knees were permanently tattooed with a sharp diamond pattern from the rusted metal flooring. I rambled down the dimly lit hall, dripping water, carrying off walls. I reached Terry McCullough's apartment and stood in front of it. Pausing to slip the 9mm automatic from its shoulder holster, I twisted the knob and nudged the door open slowly. Roland Teller stood in the middle of the apartment facing the wall unit, his back towards me. In one hand, he held a bottle of beer. In the other, a framed photograph. I said, Simon says act surprised and foam at the mouth. Teller probably didn't jump three feet. The photograph flew from his hand, cracking as it hit the floor. Beer from the bottle splashed him in the face. He stood tensely for a moment, then slowly craned his neck around to look at me. Damn you, Reardon he said sharply. What in the hell do you think you're doing here? Good job on the surprise, but I know you can foam better. A more important question is what are you doing here? Did you come back to renegotiate your deal with Terry McCullough? Teller turned full around and pulled out a handkerchief to wipe his face. You've got yourself figured for a real smart monkey, don't you, Reardon? You've always got some wise-ass comment to make, or a clever little stunt to pull. Well... You just reached the limit with me, bucko. This one's going down on account for repayment. I was wet, frustrated, and more than a little drunk. It struck me later that Teller and I had more to gain by putting our heads together than duking it out. But that was later, much later. I shoved my automatic back into the holster. If you're looking for trouble, I said, I'm ready to introduce you. Teller glanced behind me and smiled maliciously. Meet some yourself. There was a quick movement at the edge of my vision that I tried to dodge. No sail. Somebody landed a blow in the back of my head like a mine shaft collapsing. My knees buckled under me then, and I tumbled down into the darkness of the mine. Teller's harsh laughter echoing as I fell. You have been listening to The Immortal Game, a San Francisco Chronicle Book of the Year. Find it in ebook and trade paperback wherever books are sold. In this podcast, 
It's read by author Mark Coggins. Learn more about Mark and his other novels at markcoggins.com. Thank you.